You may have heard that we're closing this chapter of Shelter in Place in May at 200 episodes to make room for our next project, which we'll be unveiling in our finale episode. But first, we'd love to hear what Shelter in Place has meant to you. Whether you've been with us from the very beginning or you're just tuning in, send us a voice memo to tell us about your favorite episode or about a moment when the show made you laugh or cry or just feel a little less alone. We'll feature those messages in our season three finale episode. You can find recording instructions on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.org. You can also sign up there for our newsletter where we'll be dropping clues for our big reveal. We're so grateful for each and every one of you, and we'd love to hear from you. We can't wait to hear what Shelter in Place has meant to you. This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about reimagining life through creativity and community. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Way back in season one, When I was a few weeks in and just beginning to understand that this podcast and the pandemic would change me forever, I got an email in my inbox from somebody who I'd never met before, but we had a lot in common. Like me, Katie Simro began podcasting in the pandemic. She created a beautiful audio diary called The Transmission Times, where she asked people from all over the world to submit stories of what they were experiencing in the pandemic that first year. Over the past two years, Katie and I have become friends, collaborating and contributing to each other's work often. Katie's on the East Coast, and when I finally got to meet her in person last year when we were living in Massachusetts, it felt like seeing an old friend. Recently, I caught up with Katie about her most recent project, Mother Mine, a podcast featuring short, tightly edited episodes that reflect on the ways that our mothers shape us. Like the Transmission Times, Mother Mine is a global project. It includes the stories and voices of 75 people around the world. Some of the episodes are in other languages. Mother Mine launched its first episode last year on Mother's Day. And so as we approach Mother's Day once again, I asked Katie to share what she's learned in making the show. Here's Katie Semrum. I knew I really loved working with other people's stories and getting people from all over the world to send me audio. And that's what I had done in Transmission Times and I knew I wanted to kind of use that same format. I wanted it to be something else that was really universal, that was happening to everyone or that everyone could relate to or participate in in some way. But I also wanted it to be not quite so heavy as the pandemic. Mothers are a kind of topic that people tend to have a lot to say about. They can be really controversial. I felt like mothers were nuanced enough where people would have things to say. It turns out they did. So I started reaching out to people to contribute, and I ran a Kickstarter that was successful to fund that project. And then Mother's Day last year, I released the first five episodes. I work with really open-ended questions. They're intentionally vague. So some of the questions for Mother Mine were things like, how does your mother's influence show up in your life? Who are you because of your mother? What did or didn't you talk to your mother about? I also asked people just to tell me what they called their mothers, which for the most part was just kind of fun, but it was a good warm-up question, I think, for a lot of people. And sometimes it yielded really interesting results, like the woman who called her mother by her first name. Or people who had, like, nicknames for their mother, Queen or Great Big Stone. It was in a different language, but that's what it translated to. 
the stories really resonated for me because they're all told from the perspective of the child. And people who contributed were anywhere from 20 to in their 80s. There are five in other languages, so two in French, but they're actually Burundian refugees who live in Rwanda, and then three in Spanish, two in Peru, and one who's currently in Argentina. It was amazing to hear from so many people from other parts of the world. That cultural context was fascinating and I think brought lots of layers. What was really interesting was that in a lot of situations, there were people who literally had moved, like their family moved from one country to another. So they grew up in a country that was not the country their mother grew up in. And so they often were then judging their mother by their new culture. And the mother was like still in the old culture. So that created a lot of tension. But equally, there were plenty of people where they lived in the same country, but because of the fast pace of cultural change, there was still a disjoint between the mother and the child. And it was fascinating to hear them look back on their mothers and to think about what my own children might say. That was really powerful for me and has made me sort of try to reflect a little bit more when I am doing mother type things, parenting things, having a little bit more of like, oh yeah, okay remember, remember how this might be perceived. I also look at the stories as almost a repository of strong women and women who've done things in an interesting, different way. I think one of the first stories that hit me was a woman from Turkey and how this woman was a very rebellious teenager and was really pushing her mother away. And her mother just like took her out for cake and they sat down and her mother's like, look, you can do what you want. It's your life, but I care about you. I just want to be involved. She did this really interesting thing where she was basically giving the daughter permission to do whatever she wanted, but also just trying to be like, hey, I still want to be here. I want to be part of your life. It was fascinating to me because my kids aren't teenagers yet. And I was like, okay, that's a good tip. Like, I will keep that in mind in case I ever need to think about something like that. Thinking about all these different mothers as real people and often very inspirational people or also people that I can really relate to when maybe they're feeling a bit resentful or a bit bitter or they're downtrodden by the responsibilities of motherhood. You know, I can also relate to that too. I didn't expect it to resonate so much with my own motherhood experience, but that's what it turned into for me. In celebration of the many voices that have made up Mother Mine, we're sharing a few back-to-back -back episodes from the show. One of them is the one that I contributed to Mother Mine last year. I hope you enjoy these stories from all over the world and that when you're done listening, you'll subscribe to Mother Mine and leave it a five-star rating and review. Mommy, mommy, ma. Ulwanda. Mama, darling. Maminko. Mom. This is Mother Mine, reflections on our mothers and how they've shaped us. She had been accused wrongly of something and her vulnerability and how she responded to that, it truly just made me realize, wow, you know, apart from just being mommy, 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 my mom can actually feel other things as well. Like she can relate to people saying things not fantastic about her and she can respond to that and she can feel angry and she can feel vexed about stuff like that because you know mothers are always put together they don't want to show you that they lose their temper or my mom for example would never show that she lost her temper my mom is really patient but in that moment i saw her anger flash through her eyes and i just saw her be a person you know just be a human being that was capable of another type of emotion that wasn't 
quote unquote mommy like you know i mean that event like i saw her fight for herself stand up for herself not like she doesn't do that all the time but this was different because she was fighting for her honor to say this is not something that i have done and there's no way you're going to put this on me and i'm not going to take this from you and i really really truly absolutely appreciated that moment because for me it just made me realize yep mommies are capable of being angry Growing up, my mom would always say to me, a lady has to beautify her brain and not her face or her body. So for me, for the longest, I didn't care about how much powder or how much makeup I had on, but I was always more concerned about how smart I could get, how many more books I can read. And talking about books, her influence also show up in the fact that I love to read and I love fiction books. My mom is a lover of books and she read a lot of fiction books when I was growing up and I see that now. I mean, my mom has a library. I have a library now that I'm married as well. I am currently struggling with infertility and about two or three years ago, I had an opportunity to be in a different city and I hadn't seen my younger brother in years. And thankfully my brother was in that particular city. So I felt, yay, time to connect with my younger brother and just, you know, catch up on what we've missed out on and things. And my mom had called my younger brother to say, oh, you know what, based on what your sister is suffering from, like the infertility issues, why don't you take her to this particular religious leader to pray for her and blah, blah, blah. And as soon as my brother said that to me, I just got mad because I was like, nah, I didn't come to this town for this. I came to this town to just connect with my brother and have a good time. You know, that's what I'm here for. I didn't come here for you to tell my younger brother to take me to that religious leader or another religious leader. And before then, she had also meddled a lot into this whole infertility issues that I was having. And that was like the breaking point for me. So I really got mad at her. I was like, please, I don't want you meddling into this situation anymore. Like, I have a lot of pressure coming from you as regards this particular issue, and I don't need it anymore. I'm a graduate because of my mom, and I say that because when I did get admission into school, my university, it cost a lot of money for me to get in initially and at the time my dad couldn't afford that much money and I know that my mom had to sell her gold jewelry you know for me to be able to get into university and if she didn't make that move to sell her gold jewelry to get me into university I'm not sure I'll be a graduate today so I'm a graduate because of my mom I've seen how much patience worked for my mom. I've seen how much of just being patient and allowing things to play out have sort of happened to always help her cope and be like something that keeps her humble and also helps her navigate like the most difficult things ever. So being that I grew up as an impatient person, as I grow older, I've learned to sort of tap into that patience I saw her have growing up and I sort of tried to have that for myself and I've realized that yeah being patient has also kind of helped me a lot you know so yeah I'm a more patient person because of my mom I'm also really 
a good wife because of my mom <laughs> yeah i'll say that i'm a good wife because of my mom because you know when things get heated in my marriage and i go to her for advice like i know that i'm getting advice from somebody who has lived through the most beautiful marriage ever and has also had ups and downs in it as well i mean the love that hand my dad shared is just incredible and so when i go to her for advice and she gives me an advice based on my marriage no matter how difficult it might sound to me at the time i take it because i know it's coming from years of experience so i take that and most times they always work so i'm a much better wife because of her i talk to my mom about almost everything but i never spoke to my mom about a particular kind of abuse that I went through. I was sexually molested by somebody really close to the family and I know that if she got to know about that, it was going to hurt her because it was going to feel like she kind of failed in that situation. So I never shared that with her. And um, I mean, there are other times where I've had close shaves with like getting almost raped and she knows about those ones, but that particular sexual molestation, I just never spoke to her about it because if she hears about the details of it and how everything went down, it would truly break her. And I never want to do that to her. So I would rather just, you know, carry that to my grave. There is nothing she couldn't handle. She can do like anything she wants to. She's very strong very beautiful, dark hair, dark skin, dark eyes. All of this I have after her. I mean, I also have dark hair, dark skin, dark eyes. So I would say that we are very similar to each other, but also have a couple of things after my dad. So I can't lie about my parents because when you see me and when you see them, you can guess that. Yeah, we are the same family. <laughs> but also, I can see a woman who is uh, very insecure in some ways. She thinks that she is very fat, but she's not. I mean, she's not like small, but she's also not fat. And I think she's beautiful woman. Uh, but she has this from her family that her grandmother, she used to tell her that she's fat. So now when her back hurts her or something, she will not go for a massage because she will not allow anyone to touch her back or to touch her at all because she thinks she's fat and she should be ashamed of her body. But it's not true. I mean, we shouldn't be ashamed of our bodies. I mean, our bodies are wonderful, wonderful. They've been through so much with us. And her body has been here for almost 60 years. So her body went through a lot
when she was a little girl, she had this accident. She was skiing and uh, she fell down and she cut it her face with this ski somehow, I don't know how, uh, but she damaged the muscle on her face. There is no scar or whatever, but when she's angry or when she is in some deep emotion, <laughs> you can see her cheek, you know, under her eye, you can see that the cheek is just ticking, like doing pip, and that's when you can say that she is angry. <laughs> I mean, you can't see it in the face. Her eyes are calm and uh, there is no emotion on her lips or whatever. But you can see the cheek ticking. And that's when you know there is a problem. But she doesn't speak usually. Which is what uh, my father hates, because he is the kind of guy who wants to speak about everything and sometimes very loud, like he's not screaming, like there's no... But he just, when there is a problem, he wants to speak about it and find a solution, you know. But she, she is this kind of woman who doesn't speak about her emotions. One time we went to a holiday, you know, we went to seasides together and we were in Greece. It was the evening, we were sitting, uh, eating dinner and chatting and enjoying the seaside. And then uh, suddenly she told me that um, like half a year ago, that time, that uh, she wanted to kill herself um, because you know um, me and brother of mine we were adults that time it's like I don't know 10 years ago or something and we left our house we left the city we have big family house in the city where I was born and, uh, you know, they stayed here alone with one dog, sausage dog, so it's not a big dog. So she probably wanted to have something to live for, so they tried to have another baby. And they were not successful, uh, so they went uh, for some, like, medical help. And uh, then she got pregnant. And she was pregnant for a couple of months, and then, um, yeah, she missed courage. And uh, that was devastating for her. Um, and then, after half a year or something, we were, you know, sitting there in Greece, eating the dinner, uh, enjoying the seaside, and then she told me that when she was going from the hospital, she was driving the car and she wanted to kill herself. She wanted to crash the car. Um, yeah, I saw her emotions. I saw everything. She was not only my mother. She was also a mother of someone else who was not born and will never be born.
I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. Hey friends, we have officially opened enrollment for our next audio storytelling class, Labs Weekender. If you'd like to master the art and science of audio storytelling and create the kinds of episodes that you hear at Shelter in Place, but are sick of being on a screen, this course was made for you. Every week, you'll get a new module in your inbox to help you build a complete toolkit for narrative podcasting. We've made this course flexible for busy people with audio tutorials and a private podcast feed so that you can listen and learn while you go for a walk outside. A lot of the exercises are designed to get you away from your screen. Our next class starts June 1st, so you can sign up at shelterinplacepodcast.org labs. I can remember a brief period of time where I called her mommy when I was really little, but at least in my memory, I think it switched to mom pretty quickly, which I think says a lot about my mom actually, because she was kind of no nonsense and get things done and, you know, very organized and driven. And she was a full-time stay-at-home mom, but she really ran our house you know, pretty efficiently. I mean, our house was always clean and seemed like she was always cleaning and teaching us to clean. And and yet, at the same time, there was this side of her that was really fun and really tender. And I do have these very specific memories of her telling me that when she was a little girl, she, like me, loved to climb trees and pretend that there were fairies and You know, I can remember these very sweet conversations with her where she really engaged my imagination. I have this one memory of her dancing around the kitchen and doing this like overly dramatic ballet and just, you know, being a total goofball. And I just remember, you know, I think I was a teenager at the time thinking like, oh my gosh, my mom is so weird. But really thinking back fondly on those moments like that, because I think she showed me that as a mother, you can be so many things. You don't have to just be one thing. Even what the world sees you as, that's not the whole story. My dad is a cardiothoracic surgeon and to this day in his 70s works just crazy hours, you know, like 80 hours a week or more sometimes. And so I know my mom did a lot of the parenting without him. I think we're all close to my dad because when he was home, he was really with us. And so I think it's always been a very sweet relationship with him, which is lovely. But at the same time, the flip side of that is My mom was the one who was around for maybe, you know, a lot of the harder parts of parenting. And now that I'm a mom myself, I can really see that in a different light than I did when I was a kid. I think when I was a kid, it was always like, well, my mom's the disciplinarian. She's the one that, you know, kind of runs the house and we have to answer to her. And I, of course, resented that as a child a lot, (laughs) like every kid. But I think now I appreciate just really how heroic that was. I do remember this one dinner where my mom had made some salad and it had sliced cucumbers in it. 
And I'm guessing we had probably given her a pretty rough day because I think she was kind of already on edge when she sat down to the table. But my dad, who this again was not typical for him, but he was complaining about the cucumbers because I don't know. He doesn't like cucumbers, (laughs) which I don't think anybody knew until that meal, including my mom. And my mom just started crying. And I remember just kind of having this moment of like, oh, she feels these things just like we do when people criticize us. I remember hearing about some kids in junior high that were sexually active and about very specific things that they were doing that at the time I, you know, I was very innocent. I had not done any of that. And I was like, mom, do people really do this? And it's striking to me looking back now, realizing how comfortable I was, even though it was this very awkward thing to ask about, that sex was always something that my mom was very open about. And it was very much presented as you know, this is something really special, but like God made us to be sexual beings. And that's a beautiful part of what we were created to be. It was very much in that context. And my mom said that her mom did the same thing with her. And that was how she felt comfortable being able to talk about these, you know, pretty taboo topics at the time with all of us kids and give us, I think, a really healthy view of sexuality. She showed me what it was like to have a real faith where doubt and pain and lament and grace and compassion and kindness were part of that faith. Even though I certainly have had my times of, you know, kind of wrestling with my faith, she always showed me a faith that was big enough to handle those doubts. And that actually should have those doubts that, you know, what she passed on to me is, hey, if you don't have doubts, like there's something wrong. You need to be thinking critically about these things. You need to be doing your research, your homework. Don't just take things at face value. You know, God is big enough for your doubts. Ask him your doubts. He will be big enough to answer them. And it wasn't just her saying those things. It was her really living it. And I think it's no accident that my three siblings and I We've all clung to that faith our entire lives. And during this pandemic, I created a podcast called Shelter in Place, where I'm really searching for metaphorical shelter and trying to find my existential place in this world right now. And there's a lot of uncertainty with that. And I have to say, one of the things that has been the most meaningful to me in that work is that my mom is one of those people in my life who listens to every episode. And I'm sure there have been times that she's heard things I've said that she doesn't agree with. But the fact that she believes in me and has continued to make me feel that has just been huge for me. I mean, I think we all kind of want our moms to believe in us. Thank you for listening to Mother Mine. I'd like to say a huge thank you to each and every one of the contributors to the Mother Mine Project. 
I'd also like to say a huge thank you to all of the wonderful international producers who helped me recruit participants from Mother Mine. I could not have reached so many people in so many places without you. Thank you so, so much. And finally, I'd like to thank our wonderful and generous Kickstarter backers. You are the ones who've made this project come to life, and I am so grateful. Thank you so much. Mother Mine is created by me, Katie Semro, and produced in conjunction with our mothers ourselves. Buenas noches, mi amor. Duerme bajo el rosal. I hope you enjoyed these reflections on mothers from Mother Mine. Before we go, I asked Katie to tell us a little bit about her next project, Till It's Gone, which she's launching a Kickstarter campaign for next month. It's going to be a feature-length audio documentary. I wanted to make space for people from all over the world to talk about what they've lost. Places, objects, freedoms, abilities, identities, all of these things that we don't necessarily talk about and we don't necessarily grieve that I think maybe we're feeling a little bit more right now, right? Like we're realizing how much can be lost even when it's not through death. So you can find all the details for Till It's Gone at tillitsgone.org. That's T-I-L-I-T-S-G-O-N-E dot O-R-G. You can help both Shelter in Place and Mother Mind by leaving a rating and review. What do you say we work together to provide more meals in Ukraine? During the month of April, for every review you leave, Podchaser is donating 25 cents to World Central Kitchen's Chefs for Ukraine, which has provided more than a million meals to individuals and families fleeing Ukraine. For every podcaster who responds to those reviews, Podchaser will donate an additional 25 cents. I will personally respond to each and every review so that we can work together to double our efforts and support Ukrainians with more meals. Just head to podchaser.com. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode come from Storyblocks. Melissa Lent is our project manager. Sarah Edgel is our design director. Nate Davis is our creative director. And as always, I'm your host and executive producer. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. If you've ever wondered what we mean by audio editing, here are just a few of the things that got left on the cutting room floor from my recent conversation with Katie for this episode. I, yeah, because, mm-hmm. well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and, and, yep. Yeah. 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 Airplane. No. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. 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 But. Yeah. I, right. It's. Right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's a great tip. Mm-hmm. Great sound. <laughs>